Okay, let's uh, let's go to Genesis chapter one. Um, we're going to look at tonight the issue of we could call it biblical anthropology, the study of of, of humanness. Like, what are we? Have you ever thought of that question? What does it mean to be human? It seems to be kind of a common. I mean, it's a pretty easy question, but then when you delve a little bit deeper, if God's not in the picture, we're going to look at a meeting. Y'all like this website? Check this out. That looks like a party, doesn't it? What about 15 scholars sitting around? So we're going to look at what some of the, uh, I guess we could say top neuroscientists and so forth are saying about what it means to be human. But let's go to the one book that never needs revision because it's always true, Bible. Genesis chapter 1 in verse 26. Now this, y'all know where we're going, right? Made in the what of God? In the image of God. Most of us have been over that a billion times. Let's look at it afresh again tonight. Um, and it's, this is going to be revolutionary with the way that we view culture and culture views us. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image. Just stop right there. Um, some biblical scholars believe, obviously, throughout the Old Testament, God is one, Right? I mean, polytheism, many gods, is always branded as trash theology, simply not true. So why would it say here in the very beginning of Genesis, the first chapter, let us make man in our image? We're not, we're not saying this is, this is a, a slam dunk from this verse alone, but a lot of biblical scholars think that this may be a reference to the Trinity. But we've gone over the Trinity and we'll be here till midnight if we do it again. So just, just mark that in your Bibles because um, some people have the, the question, why would it be our image instead of my image? After our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, <clears throat> over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27 So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. So right here, the Bible says what it means to be human is two things. It means, number one, you're a creation of God. Okay. Now what then is the difference between man and the animals? Because the animals are also a creation of God. We've got it right here in the text. Right, they have dominion because they are what? Yeah, they're made in the image of God. Now, we're going to unpack that next week, okay? I know this is kind of opening up the camp where we can close it, but we're going to take the entire next week's segment and look at what does it mean, the image of God. Because the uh, Mormons would have us believe that God has a body, and that's what it's talking about, that God looks like us, that God is flesh and blood like us, which you got. That presents so many problems, doesn't it? Especially when they believe also that every person who's born today is the result of God, Elohim, and his millions of spirit wives, them coming together, physical union, and every time she conceives one of them, a human is born today. So in other words, God, God has relations like we do, and his wives are impregnated like human women are, and there's a lot of people being born every second. I'm not trying to be funny about this, but there's a lot of people born, right, every minute. And if God is confined to a body, then that presents some big problems like God having time to maybe answer prayer or even hear prayer. So that's what the Bible says. We are a creation of God, and what sets us apart is that we're made in the image of God. Now, let's imagine if we take our Bibles and we close them, and then we take them and we put them somewhere where we're never going to go again. If the Bible 
doesn't play a part in what we think that we are, if God doesn't exist and so forth and so on, these are some of the options we get. This is going to be fun. Are you ready for this? I'm excited. Here we go. And this is, a, if you want to check out this article, it's Wired.com, um, Wired Science. The article is called, What Does It Mean to Be Human? Anything else? Um, here's just a couple. Let me get down here. Daniel Dennett, he is a, one of the leading atheists in the world. Um, he says, we are the first species that represents our reasons and can reason with each other. The planet has grown a nervous system. Now let's stop right there. What do you think he's saying that it means to be human? The first species that represents what? Right, so it's reason. We're animals, but the only difference is that we have reason. Now, here's something we need to understand. Do we have reason different than the animals? Yes. So that's something that you can, if you're talking to an atheist and they say, like Aristotle, the only thing that separates us from animals is our reason, we can agree and say we do have reason that the animals don't, but if you stop there, you miss the whole picture. And uh, let's go down here to, um, let's see where he was. Um, yes. Uh, we're not going to go through all this, but there's a, a neuroscientist named Antonio Damasio, and he says the the critical unique factor is language, creativity, the religious and scientific impulse, and our social organization, which is developed to a prestigious degree. We have um, a record of history, moral behavior, economics, political, and social institutions. We're probably unique in our ability to investigate the future, imagine outcomes, and display images in our minds. I like to think of a generator of diversity in the frontal lobe, those initials are G-O-D. You know what he's saying here? He's saying that where we get God from is just the way that our minds work. That God is not out there. God is just the byproduct of your mind. Every single one of these people, I'm not going to go through the whole list, but every single one of them, they end up with the problem of this. If we are nothing but animals, then is there really any difference in ethics with a human and an animal? For for example, um, we'll we'll get to it. We're going to look at three three views here um, on humanness. And then we're going to look at what the Bible says once again. Let's go to the first one here. Uh, humans as machines. Okay, this is a popular view in the world. Um, a lot of, we studied history for the last century, the Soviets, the communists, they believe this was true, which is um, views persons based upon their productivity. Okay, Miller Erickson says they are of value as long as they are useful. Right? Augustine said, this is great, we should love people and use things, not vice versa. William Lane Craig says, those who use people and love things are doing something profoundly immoral because they are not recognizing the inherent worth and dignity of other persons who are not merely things to be used. Have you ever known somebody, and that's the way that they viewed people in the professional world? A boss? This is, this is very, some people say, oh, no, no, this is, this is all that you get intellectual stuff. No, this is very practical And this is where Christians are, a person who follows Christ, are qualitatively different. Let me give you a verse from the Old Testament here. And by the way, the Old Testament is filled with verses like this about don't 
use people as means to an end, right? We should love people and use things. Uh, Amos chapter 5 verse 11 says, Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. So this, in the book of Amos, was people who were uh, oppressing the poor in such a way that they didn't even have what they needed to survive. So God's pretty serious in the Old Testament about taking a person and trying to squeeze every bit of life they can uh, out of them. Uh, what type of society do you think that this would produce if this is the predominant view? Like if we view each other, people are machines, and I view you as a person, as someone to get as much as I can out of. And then once you can't do anything else for me, y'all know where this is going, don't you? Once you can't do anything else for me, or if we could phrase it differently, if you no longer make me happy, then I drop you. What type of society do you think that, that that's going to produce? Like, what are some angles of that? What's that? Communism. Communism, definitely. Definitely one. Absolutely. We could, we could look at another, another thing like that with the Nazi death camps. Remember how they, how they had it down to a science where they would work the people just enough so they'd feed them as little as they could, get as much work out of them, and then just kind of kill them or let them die, put them in the incinerator. Let's talk to somebody. Um, what may be some indications of this in our society? Viewing people as machines to be used as opposed to Divorces. It's the same as a divorce. Okay. Married until married isn't suit my purpose anymore. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that's a good reassuring hug right after that. Yeah. No, that's a good. That's a good point, right? I think unfortunately defines most of our society. Right In what sense? Um. We're. I mean, we're. We're very much a. Me society that it's all about me. The universe revolves around me and what I need. And I think that's why the divorce rate is as high as it is because you know how a person can can decide after years of being married that I don't need you anymore. It's you were living a life already, um, not centered on the right things. But but I, I see I, I've had an employee in my office that. Great, great girl, that happiness is always temporary. And you know, I think it's because you're focusing on what your needs are instead of you don't have God as your center, then you're always probably focused on what your needs are rather than having a heart of God. Good point. Excellent point. That pretty much defines or is the basis of hedonism and our society is very much about that. And a refresher on hedonism. It's all about me and what makes me feel good. That's the goal of life. Mm-hmm. I need to feel as good as I can, as mm-hmm. often as I can. Mm-hmm. And whoever doesn't meet that goal is, uh, you know, needs to get out of the way. Mm-hmm. So people are, you then see people based on how much they can do that for you and mm-hmm. who they are and their intrinsic value right. doesn't exist for you. Right, right. So, so in this view, there is no image of God that should be respected, right? 
there's a certain amount of I can get from this person and we're supposed to stick our meat syringe in and extract as much as we can. Let's, let's think about this in the in sense of the church context and we'll move on and we're going to look at some ways that we can help folks fix this who are, who are unsafe. Number one, you get saved. Um, think about in terms of the church. Have you ever heard anybody say, I, I want a church who will do such and such for me? Right? My church, I've been there for a certain amount of time. It's time for me to move on because I, I have different, I have changed, I need different needs. Well, we know, those of us who've been saved, we know that the whole key to freedom is to give, right? Like Jesus says, he who saves his life for his own sake shall lose it, but he who loses his life, and here's the key, for my sake and the gospel, the same shall find it. So it's, it's, this is, the gospel is totally changed around from this viewpoint. The gospel says the way that you gain freedom, the way that you understand how relationships are supposed to work, is you find people, Matthew 25, right? The people who are in jail, the people who are sick, the people who are naked, the people who are hungry. And Jesus says, go to those people that can't do anything. They don't have anything to give you. There's nothing to extract. They're broken. They're poor. They're destitute. And are what, like what you're talking about, mom, a lot of these women who've been through abortions, people who are broken but who can't admit on the outside, go, Jesus says go find those people and pour your life into them. And that's where freedom comes. We're going to talk about depression. And I think a lot of that is rooted to people's, their subconscious view today of that people are things to be used. Instead of like Augustine said, we should love people and use things. Um, number Two, humans as animals. All right, y'all heard this before. This is a very prevailing view. Here's something too. Um, I think that Christians should have a high respect for science. All right. Sometimes we say that in the church, people are like, hold, hold, hold on. I thought that you know we've got <clears throat> we got religion over here and science over here, and they're kind of separate areas. If God created everything, in other words, God didn't just you know create. The Bible, so to speak. But if God created the whole world, He's given us tools to understand that. All right? If God's created the whole world, we should embrace science. But the difference is that scientism is the belief that science explains everything. Science cannot explain ethics, for example, right? All scientists will tell you you can't get ethics from a test tube, right? No matter what, uh, and that's not saying that science is bad, it just doesn't cross over into, into ethics. So, Sometimes when we hear these phrases, people are simply higher animals, um, that says often that they believe that there is no image of God, no soul, or no spirit. Um, a lot of times this view also, like with Freud's, a lot of Freud's psychology, they'll do um, experiments on animals and then they'll apply the results of that to humans like there's a one-to-one ratio. Now, can we gain some knowledge of how humans behave and so forth from things with animals? Yeah. Because, you know, if you put a certain type of chemical in an animal, it's going to produce something. We're also living organisms. But the difference between an animal, biblically, and that's what reality is, is that we have something called a spirit or soul. Or even call it the image of God, a conscience. Three you know animals, they act based upon instinct and behavior modification, right? Some people do to a certain extent, but, um, you know, we'll just, we'll just leave that. In other words, Daisy has never, we've had, never had a rational conversation, right? I mean, it's always, like, it's just, and those of you who've been around animals, it's just, that's the way that, that they roll, um, so to speak. 
Um, a lot of these phrases like positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, uh, we're not saying that that's all false, because often if you're nice to a person, they'll be more inclined to be nice to you. But that's not to say that people don't have the image of God, or we call it a choice. Um, this is something I want to stop on here for a couple minutes. If humans are just animals, right? If there's no image of God, if there's no soul, no spirit, then um, can we say that there's something like the sanctity of life? Like abortions should be avoided? Or even go further to say that it's wrong morally and accountable to God? See, if we're just, if we're just higher animals then this is what you hear a lot of times um, in the news. They may not say this exactly. Here's the argument. There's plenty of humans already, a.k.a. overpopulation, which, which is a myth. Um, we should be concerned about, quote, diversification of species, not speciesism, like racism or sexism, in favor of only humans. There's a lot of folks today, they say, well, you know, we don't need to be worried about uh, you know, having abortions or, or people, what we need to do is make sure that there's just a bunch of species. Now, should Christians be for annihilating endangered species? No. I think that Christians, right, those we read in Genesis, are the ones who God has put to take care of the world, to take care of the animals and so forth. So I think that we should be the front runners in taking care of endangered species and so forth. But if humans are only animals, then if you've got what is it, 7 billion now of one species? I mean, who really cares about that, right? Like, I mean, in all seriousness, what, what, what big deal is it if you've got 100,000 of those die? We've got plenty to spare. What might a Christian say to that argument? Can you use the example of Bach? Okay. Because Bach's mother had many deformed children before he was born. Okay. If he used that argument, he would have been aborted. And Good point. Most music that we play in church wouldn't be there because he mm. invented most of it. Nice. Good point. Good point. Um, number three, humans as pawns of the universe. This is a person who's pessimist. Ever been around a pessimist? Right? <laughs> Like, everything's a conspiracy, right? Coke is a conspiracy, Pepsi, I mean, just the whole thing. A lot, a lot of these people would have the view that we are pawns of fate, luck, blind chance, world politics. Been around someone who said, everything's been decided by the few. Maybe there are six guys in the world, you know, who decide everything. I don't know. You know, when, when people say, you're like, where do they meet? And they'll send you some, some Crystal Links website, and you're like, Awesome. Great sources. Um, Erickson says this about, about this view. All those who hold that humans are basically pawns at the mercy of the universe are gripped by a similar sense of helplessness and resignation. Remember the old um, myth from Greek mythology, Sisyphus, who had been consigned to hell? They let him out, Hades. They let him come to the world. And then they said, you got to go back. He said, I don't want to go back. And then they punished him, put him down there. He had to roll the, the, the big rock up the hill. And then once it got up to the top of the hill, it rolled back down. He had to do that for all eternity. So a lot of people for this, that's the way life is. And what book in the Bible did somebody kind of come to a similar conclusion under the sun? Like if God didn't exist at all. 
It was who? Solomon, exactly. Everything is meaningless. It's just going to happen. What's happened before will continue to happen. So let's change over to the good news. Um, and here's our little picture from the other week. Y'all like the graphics there? We've got the doomsday clock. And uh, I don't know if this is pre-Augmented Jot or not, but um, the whole uh, effects of God's sovereignty and so forth. I think for Christians, Christians should never, ever be pessimists. And if you, I don't know, if you, can, if you do get down once in a while, um, do what we talked about two weeks ago on Sunday morning, right? Begin to thank God for what He's done. Anxiety hits, that's the way the Bible says be anxious for nothing, but in prayer, in everything, prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, make your requests remain known to God. And it always works. So here is a few things that we'll knock out here. Uh, number four, view humans as creatures of God and image of God. Okay, what this means when the Bible says that is that humans have not come about through random processes, but through a conscious act of God's will. Okay? So like Darwinian evolution from the goo to the zoo to you, not taught in scripture. And what's interesting too, if you've got some spare time, I know I just gave you guys two of those monstrous books on Sunday to buy, um, but get um, a book called The Signature of the Cell. Signature uh, of the Cell. It is, it's the groundbreaking book in DNA uh, research. The guy's name is Stephen Meyer. Um, incredible, incredible scholar. It's a, it's a pretty big book, but it's easy to read. It's awesome. To, if you have someone who really struggles with the question of Darwinian evolution or the Bible or how all that fits together, get it off of, of uh, Amazon.com and give it to him. Signature of the Cell. Amazing, amazing book. And, it, and, and it's, he's got all sorts, like one of the guys on that article, Francis Collins, the guy's the head of the Human Genome Project. I mean, how intellectual is that? If you've got somebody who wants to throw around big names, he quotes Francis Collins all through because Francis Collins is like, look, man, this is like a computer when we look at human DNA. So it's awesome. All right. Also, the fact that, let's think about this. This is so VBS material, but it's so deep. If we are, like what do we teach the kids? You, Ms. Sharon, right? God created you, right? The kids like, God created me. Now, what does that mean? It means, at the very least, that there's a point and a purpose of human existence, right? It means that there is a reason for living. So, the point and purpose, people say, okay, well, what is that? It's found in the intention of the Creator, right? If God created, then the next question is, well, why did He create us? What did He create us for? And this is from the Westminster Short Confession, old Christian confession. They got together and said, what's the Bible say on these issues? I love this. The whole duty of man is to love God and enjoy him forever. Isn't that good? Solomon said it this way. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. So, unlike the ones who view humans as machines... People are ones that we get from. The gospel says that God created us to love him, to enjoy him forever, to keep his commandments. Because when you keep his commandments, you are loving him, right? And when we keep his commandments, didn't what, what about what, what was that? Six of the Ten Commandments and so forth have to do with relating to other people. Honor your father and your mother. Don't kill the other people. Don't cheat, so forth and so on. So this is so huge in our society um, today. If, if we can just grab a hold of this.
Any, any commentary here? I just think this is so rich. This point that we've been created by God. We've been created to love him and have a relationship with him. Any life outside of that will end in disillusionment and depression. Yeah, I couldn't tell if you sometimes hear. One of those commandments is, of course, the Great Commission. We are the But also the commission to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That means fill the earth with overflowing children. And what you said earlier was that the world would say we're overpopulating them, you know, and all that. We're finding out now that Japan is dying at one point. Yeah, out of all the Western European yeah. groups. No, I haven't. But there's a good book too. It's called The Empty Cradle. It came out, I think, about three or four years ago. Not a Christian book. The The Empty Cradle, The Myth of Overpopulation and the Decline of the West. Scary book, scary book about Western Europe, Canada, the U.S., and how people just don't, you know, we know some people they can't, right, just, just you know, whatever reason they're not able to, but people, abortion and so forth, um, the declining birth rates, and then you look at other areas of the world that are very unstable, the birth rates are shooting through the roof. So what that means is in 50 years or so, if it doesn't change, there's a total change in the way the world works. But yeah, We have three main that, people working. Uh, there would be a lot of discussion about politicians would have a lot to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> good point. We've killed our own support system. Mm-hmm. And if y'all, if y'all want to get into a good political discussion, just meet with Dad afterwards. Um, you may be here for a while. Um, next is that God is eternal, who created humans with an eternal future. Jonathan made a really good point about this in Bible study on Sunday, that when a human is created, they are from that point existing forever in one of two places once they die um, when I was a tutor in Texas for math I had a really rowdy group of 8th uh, of grade boys very lost very foul mouth and it was towards the end of the year I knew I was coming back to work again if I didn't get fired over this but the Lord just impressed on me talking about I don't know what came over and the Lord said you need to share the gospel with them and this was a charter public school this was not you know box homeschool gathering or something, you know, we're all praying for 45 minutes before we, you know, look at a wisdom booklet, but um, uh, we're, we're talking about um, uh, the issue of, of rays, right? Like a ray has a, a definite point of beginning, and then it extends indefinitely. And I said, look guys, this is the way it is. And I began to share the gospel using math and said that this is the way that we are. We are created by God, and that when we're created, we will exist forever in one of two places. Really, really interesting because they begin to get very, very quiet. Talked about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Um, I don't know if that's a really good way um, if you want to have tenure teaching, but I, it, was, it was the right thing. So um, let's discuss that we are out of time again. Let's just walk through this. Um, how would you answer when people ask, what is good for humans? We know that most people today would define that mostly in terms of physical health, Right? What could a Christian add in with this and maybe even rephrase the question that will change people's thinking? Very broad question. What is good for you, your life? What's that? God. God. All right. And, we, and by that we mean? 
How do we get to him? We pray, we seek after him, right? Good. Number two, what should be the purpose of our life? Uh, Should the purpose of our life be about achieving? Because these are loaded terms, right? Whenever you see these, it's loaded terms. Achieving happiness. No. No. Why? Let's seek first the kingdom of God. Great. I had not thought of that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then what does it say about all these things, the last part of that verse? Will be added unto you. Great point. I case in point, case in point. See, this is so liberating about the gospel. If we say it's not about trying to get stuff for yourself, it's giving it your life away. Um, once again, for people on Easter, pray for me as I try to emphasize this: that it is giving your life to Jesus, giving Him control um, of everything. Um, how should we speak to our culture that experiences disillusionment and depression? Exactly what you guys said. Seek first the kingdom of God. Look for ways to give your life away. Not just to good causes, right? And think like, I'm not making fun, like save the whales. I, you know, that, that's not a bad thing. We're not saying Christians shouldn't be involved in that. But if we've got one life to live, let's look for the best way, right? Best way to use it for the Lord. And um, action points. Let us never think that we exist independently. Amen? The fact that we are created, everything's from Him. Number two, let us act as stewards or managers of God's creation because we have been created in His image. Number three, let's let... <laughs> Second week in a row in the title. I'm glad Miss Betty's not here. She scratch it off from the back row. Um, let our human <laughs> limits... Cause us to rely upon God's limitlessness. And that's not just a preacher saying, but whenever you hit that point, you ever hit that point? Can't go any further? Just give it to the Lord. Finally, let us gain our joy from the knowledge of God. The whole point of what are we? We are created to be in a relationship with God. And that's where joy is found. And so many of you have experienced that and are continuing to experience what it means to be redeemed. So I just want to do that with y'all. I want to live life with you. I want to help this be known to people, and see more folks saved. Thank you all so much. I'll pray for us, and then we'll head out. Father, we thank you for your, your mercy and that you chose to reveal yourself through, to us um, through so many ways. And we ask, God, that you would help us to be faithful in inviting people to the greatest evangelistic opportunity most churches will have all year, and that's this Sunday Easter. Would you bless my friends who came here tonight? In Jesus' name, amen.